Well, uh, good morning, everybody, uh, on this beautiful morning, uh, as we gather together as God's people once again around His Word. And what a joy it is to, to come to God's Word together, to study it, to hear from God's Word, even though we cannot meet in person. Uh, at the moment at Cross Central Church, we're meeting around 50 people at a time. I know it's not everybody, but if you are listening here at home, uh, we really do welcome you. And I hope that uh, as we continue our journey through the book of Romans, that you would really be blessed. Continue to be reminded of God's grace and mercy, reminded of our own sinfulness, and to be reminded that without Jesus Christ, without the gospel, uh, we really are lost. We really are uh, in desperate need of a Savior. And so in the first three chapters of Romans that we've been working our way through, we all, we're heading towards chapter 3, verse 9, where Paul makes the statement that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one, not one, any one of us seeking God. All have turned away, and together we've become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. See, Paul is taking us on a journey, taking the Roman church on a journey, as we think through the gospel, to understanding the depravity of human beings. And to understand in our fallen state that without God, uh, we, are, we are helpless, we are hopeless, and we are stuck in our, our sin and in the clutches of death. And Paul uh, in chapter 1 has addressed the pagan world, the world out there, uh, and he has addressed them talking about how God's judgment is already being revealed against unbelievers who have chosen to walk away from him, chosen to ignore him, to abandon the truth. And so God hands them over to their sin. And in chapter 2, he's then turned his attention to the person who is sitting in judgment of the world, considering themselves to be fairly good, the good moral person. And that's where we sort of finished our conversation a bit yesterday, uh, last week, uh, looking at the good moral person who thinks they're better than the world out there, the sinners out there. Uh, and so Paul brings them into line and says, no, no, you too, as a good person, there's no one good enough for God. And so um, the good moral person is also under God's judgment. And his conclusion was that when we think we are good enough for God... Uh, deserving of his grace in any way verse 4 of chapter 2 of Romans he says we show contempt for the riches of his kindness his tolerance patience not realizing that it's God's kindness to us that leads us to repentance uh, and uh, JBS Haldin says uh, in, in a quote and I quote I've never met a healthy person who's worried very much about his health or a really good person who's worried about his own soul and so when we, we believe we are good enough for God, we tend to become complacent. We settle back into our own goodness. And it becomes the, the, the thing we depend on. And you know, one day when I get to heaven, uh, I'm gonna be, God's going to see my good deeds and He's going to let me into eternity. And so when we begin to believe in our own righteousness, we're actually in trouble. Paul makes it very clear that we all fall short and his last statement where we finished off last week in verse 11, he says, God does not show favoritism at all. And so both to Jew and Gentile, they will be judged equally and both are dependent on being saved through the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God revealed in Christ. And so you can imagine that statement in verse 11 would have really brought the Jews in the church, the Jewish audience, the chosen people of God, uh, would have woken them up all of a sudden if, if they hadn't been listening. They would have been suddenly listening very intently. It would have been a shocking statement for Paul to have made. 
is to hear that the Jews and Gentiles both are under God's judgment and both rely on the righteousness of Christ. And so you can hear the Jewish audience almost objecting to Paul's statement saying, but whoa, hold on, Paul, what are you saying? You know, we, it's fine to talk about judgment on the pagan world and the good moral person, but, but you know, Jews, the Jews are God's special people. We're God's chosen nation. So how can you say, how can you possibly even think that we'll be judged along with the Gentiles? Uh, I mean, we've had the law and the promises to us as a nation. Look at our history. Um, and so Paul has just made it very clear. God does not show favoritism in any way, shape, form, or size. And so for the rest of chapter 2, Paul then turns his attention to the Jewish audience in the Roman church. So he turns his focus onto those who are relying on the law, those who are relying on their history, their ethnicity, possibly to consider that they've got an advantage over their Gentile brothers and sisters sitting next to them. And so Paul wants to remind them that the law was never, ever, ever given to save anybody. The law was never, ever given to save Israel. In fact, the law was given to reveal the righteousness of God and to also expose the sinful human heart. The law was given to expose the sinfulness of humanity. And the law was always intended with that purpose, to point Israel, to point you and I, to our need for Jesus. It was never to become a means of salvation, but its purpose was to point us to Jesus. And so we're going to explore this little uh, rest of chapter 2 this morning uh, together. So, so wouldn't you uh, open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading from verse 12 onwards and then I'm going to pray and we will then uh, continue just to unpack Romans chapter 2 verse 11 to the end of the chapter, oh, verse 12 to the end of the chapter. So let us, uh, let us just pray and then we'll get stuck straight into the text. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are a great God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it brings clarity of thought. Thank you that it reminds us of our need for Jesus. Thank you that it points us all to the righteousness of Christ upon which we are dependent. That there's nothing we can do that will save us. Nothing we, we can, uh, we can uh, do here on earth as human beings to make ourselves worthy of your calling. And we, are, we just praise you that you don't show favoritism. That we're all in the same boat. We're all dependent on Jesus. And I pray that we would see that clearly this morning. Uh, and we praise you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So reading from uh, verse 12 in, in Romans chapter 2. So all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Verse 14, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. And this will take place in the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know His will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, teacher of infants, because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, 
You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. So, just, uh, just so far. And isn't it amazing that as you read this text, you become struck by one thought. And it's the only thought I have this morning I want to share with you. The only point, as it were, in this message. Obedience to the law is a heart issue. It's about the heart. Obedience to the law is a heart issue. It's always been and it always will be. It's the title of this message, but also the main point of this message. So obedience to the law is about the heart, not about just the outward expression. And did you see where Paul starts in verse 12 after saying that God won't show favoritism? Well, he, he speaks to the Gentile and he speaks to the Jew. And notice what he says to the Jew and the Gentile in verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So the Gentiles, we see, who are not under the law, they won't be judged by the law. Do you see that Paul says, those who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. So they won't be judged by the law, but they will be judged by their own consciences. So the Gentiles will be judged by their own consciences. Did you see that in verse 14? Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show the requirements of the law. So hear these words of Paul. The requirements of the law are written on their hearts. And their consciences bear witness and their thoughts are accusing, even defending them. So what is Paul saying? Well, Paul is saying that every human being ever born has a concept of right and wrong. Every society has laws built on their understanding of right and wrong. So there's not a single human being who's not born with this concept of good and evil, right and wrong. And many non-Christians live such good lives even though they've never opened their Bibles. See, the world out there understands what it means to be kind, loving, caring for each other. Because why? The law is a heart issue. It's, Paul says it's written on our hearts. We are created in that way. We are created, every human being is created with a sense of right and wrong, with a conscience. I mean, you just have to look at a little baby that, that keeps on glancing back at its mother as it does something to see if mom's going to notice, seeing a mom's reaction. You see, the concept of right and wrong is written on the human heart. And the moment we see this from Adam and Eve, even before the law came into being, Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the garden. Before anything, they knew they had done wrong. 
before God even called out for them, they knew they had done wrong. Because as God comes to find them, to call to them, what, where are they? Well, they're hiding. Why are they hiding? Well, because they were ashamed and guilty. Because they knew they had done wrong. They had disobeyed God's instruction. So in the human heart, there's a sense of right and wrong that we are born with. And did you see when Cain was angry with his brother? In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. What does God say to him? God says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will you not be accepted? But if you do, don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You see, the human heart has been battling sinfulness and the concept of right and wrong for, for, since the beginning of time. Right from the dawn of time, Human beings have understood and had a knowledge of right and wrong. An unwritten moral code that forms the basis for any of our societies. Every culture, every nation, every child has a built-in sense of morality that convicts us, becomes a basis for our punishment, guilt, feelings, and, and an intense desire and need for forgiveness. And so Paul says the world is without excuse because our hearts convict us, our consciences convict us so those who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law yet they will be judged by their own consciences by their own sense of right and wrong so we have that concept of right and wrong but on the other hand Paul then says to the Jews Israel however you will judge be judged in many ways a little bit more harshly you'll be judged by the law the definite law that was given to you because it was given to you as a nation and did you see what Paul says there he says uh, all who sin uh, under the law will be judged by the law. And he makes it very clear. It's, it's not those who hear the law who are righteous. So just because you are Jewish and you've heard the law, you've heard it in your Jewish home, you've heard it read to you, you've, you've received the law, you are not righteous automatically because of hearing the law. No, it's those who obey the law. See, Paul makes a really clear distinction. So it's not just the hearers of the law. You are not automatically righteous because of your ethnicity or your nationality. You're not a Jewish person. You're not. You're not. It's, the, it's those who actually walk in obedience to the law who are righteous. See, obedience to God's word, obedience to the law, was a heart issue. It was always a heart issue. And when uh, God gives ex uh, the law in Exodus chapter 2, uh, we, are, we read how Israel are given the Ten Commandments. Now listen to these words. This is what you are to say from verse 3 in Exodus 20. This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you. I saved you. I rescued you on eagles' wings and I brought you to yourself, myself. You see, the salvation has already happened of the nation. They've done nothing to deserve it. God has rescued them. He's brought them on eagles' wings to himself. And now he says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be for me a treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see the covenant that God makes with his people? So if you obey me, if you walk in obedience to my covenant, to my word, if you show me that you love your word, if you embrace it with your heart, then you will be my treasured possession. See, total obedience to the law was required from Israel if you were to belong to God. So you had to be totally obedient to the law if you were to consider yourself part of God's 
people. And we know, of course, that God does give the sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system is the demonstration of God's grace, which runs parallel with the law. So when Israel failed to keep the law, they, they had the grace of God in the uh, sacrificial system. So you could make sacrifices and offerings uh, and, and you could be forgiven for breaking the law. But total obedience to God's word was the requirement to be part of God's people. And you and I, of course, know this morning that it's impossible to keep every letter of the law because our human hearts are sinful above all things. But yet, isn't it when we, we, we think we are right, we think we are righteous enough because we've kept the law, we've kept the rules, when that thinking creeps in, it's amazing how our hearts have deceived us. So if you are building your relationship with Christ on your ethnicity, on, your, on, on, on any outward expression of faith, then you are going to be a, get a horrible surprise on that day. You see, and remember the rich young man who came to Jesus. The rich young man was a, a, a Jewish, probably a synagogue ruler in Matthew chapter 19. Young man, a perfect law keeper in his mind. And he comes with a question to Jesus in Matthew 19. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, if you want to enter life, then obey the commandments. So he's saying total obedience to God's word. Total, total obedience is required if you want to enter into life. And notice the arrogance of this young man. See, in his mind, he was the perfect law keeper. In his mind, he had ticked the boxes and he was, he was right with God. He says, all these I have kept. See, he says, in his mind, I've, I've kept these laws that you've quoted. And of course, Jesus quotes all the, the laws that are directed towards others. You know, um, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery. And the, the young man says, I've kept these things. See, he was so confident that he'd done the right thing. He was confident in his own goodness. And what does Jesus then say to him? Well, Jesus says to him, he looks at this poor man, he has pity on him, and he says, the one thing you lack, the one thing you lack, so there's something you are lacking, and what does Jesus do? Well, he addresses the heart. You see, being a law keeper is the heart issue. It's about the heart, not the outward expression, and it always has been. He says, give up everything and follow me. You see, Jesus tackles this young man's heart. In his outward actions and appearance, he seemed righteous, he seemed holy. Even the disciples were shocked and were saying to Jesus after that, well, then who can be saved? Well, you see, it's the person whose heart is right with God. So even David, the, the king, you know, David was a sinner. David committed adultery. He tried to cover it up by murdering Bathsheba's husband. I mean, for all intents and purposes, one would look at David and go, man, this guy just, you know, he's, he's a terrible person. And yet, what does God say of him? He's a man after my own heart. Because you read the great passages of repentance where David is torn up over his sin. You see, obedience to God is demanded 100% if we're going to belong to God's people. And it's a heart issue. It's about the heart. It's about a heart that is repentant. A heart that acknowledges that it has made a mistake. You see, your heart has to be changed in order to walk in obedience. It has to be changed. Without a change of heart... No one can keep the law. Without a change in heart, without God addressing the heart, we cannot and we will never be able to 100% walk in obedience to God's word. We need a heart to change. The law cannot change the heart. The law can never change the heart. It can, it can change behavior, 
but it cannot address the problem of the human heart. And that's the issue with religion, isn't it? Religion and religious practice is built on what I do. It's not built on a heart change. So religious expressions without the gospel, without the heart change, without the heart work being done, is nothing but simple cold religion. See, and that's why the law was given. The law was given. Why was the law given? Well, it was given to be a plumb line. It was given to be that plumb line by which the, the lives of Israelites could be measured. The life of the nation could be measured. So the law becomes the plumb line by which we judge ourselves. So it's like that spirit level that tells us where we have fallen short or where the building is skewed and needs to be changed. And right the way through the Old Testament, don't we see that even the most faithful servants of God could not fully fulfill the requirements of the law. They came up short every single time. And of course, we don't see, we, we see this that at its clearest in the lives of the religious leaders of the day. See, the lives of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were convinced they were the godly of the godly. They were fulfilling the law down to the letter, even creating laws around the laws to, to make sure they keep the laws. So they were keeping it, they were doing it, they were, they were actively seeking out this righteousness uh, by the laws and, 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 and making sure that they weren't falling short. And yet in his Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus do? Jesus makes it clear that the law was about a changed heart. It wasn't about going through the motions. You know, he says to them, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But now I say to you, if you are angry with your brother. See, what does Jesus do with the law? Well, he takes the outward expression of the law and he, and he, and he makes it even far more intense. He points to an attitude of the heart. So he says, it's not just about physical murder. It's not just about adultery. Well, it's about the heart. So if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. If you, you look at, at with lust in your heart at a woman, well, then you've committed adultery. You see, Jesus makes it sure and underlines the fact that law-keeping uh, and, and walking in obedience to the law is about, is about the heart. It's not just about the outward expression. And what does Jesus call these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees and religious men of the day? Well, he calls them whitewashed graves with poison on their lips, who've, bring, who've brought con condemnation and a burden onto people. You see, religion places condemnation and burden onto the shoulders of the, of the person walking in that religious practice. And isn't it the saddest thing to see people sacrificing, people washing, cleansing in the Ganges, doing all these religious ceremonies to try to get themselves closer to God, to make themselves worthy of, of His acceptance. You see, that's what religion does. Religion places a burden on the shoulders. You see, the very law of God stood against the, 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 the men trying to keep it. The very law of God stood as a testimony against them of the sinfulness of their hearts. The law revealed that, that even the greatest law keepers could not keep the law, could not meet the requirements of God's law. And so in Romans chapter 3 verse 20, a little bit further on, we're going to see Paul will say the following. Listen to these words. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. No one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And see, isn't that exactly why we need Jesus? That is exactly why we need Jesus, who was the perfect law keeper. Jesus was the only man, the only Jewish man who was the perfect law keeper. 
And so we need His righteousness to be given to us. We need His perfection to be given to us. And in ourselves, we will never truly be righteous because of our sinful hearts. And isn't that the wonderful message of the gospel that comes as a soothing balm on the, the, the law, the judgment of the law that stands against us? The gospel says you don't have to be righteous. You don't have to meet the standard because it's been done on your behalf. And so if you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Him, then His righteousness is accredited to you. His righteousness is imputed to you, given to you. You are clothed in His righteousness and your sinfulness, your inability to keep the law, your brokenness is taken upon Him. And He takes the punishment on the cross that you deserve for your law-breaking, sinful, uh, idolatrous heart. See, that's the glory, the message of the gospel, the healing that, that comes with understanding and knowing, being set free from the, the judgments of the law. But you see, many Jewish believers at the time were taking pride in their heritage. As Paul writes this letter and penned this letter, many Jewish believers were, were taking pride in their ethnicity and their status as God's people. And Paul reminds them that God's people have always been and are only those whose hearts have truly been changed. Not those who are simply born into the nation. It's not a national identity. Notice verse 17 to 24. Now if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, you see the arrogance of, hey, we, well, we're, we're, the, we're the chosen people of God. We know God. We are, we are the people. He says, if you brag about your relationship with God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those in the dark, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach the... So, so you see what Paul's saying, saying, if you see all these things, if that's your view... You then, verse 21, who teach others, do you teach yourself? Are you speaking to your own heart when you speak the law? You preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And isn't that the sad story of the nation Israel in the Old Testament? We see God's chosen people failing, turning away time again and again and again from their God and turning to idolatry, turning to the religious practices of the nations around them. And in many ways, God's name became mocked and a, and, and a joke around the nations. Instead of being a light to the Gentiles, well, God's name was blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of the hypocrisy of the people of God. You see, the human heart was the problem. And notice that as Paul says these verses from verse 17 to 24, notice the problem is not with the law. So we are not antinomian where we, where, where we, uh, where we are against the law. No, we love the law of God. The problem is not the law. The problem is not the Ten Commandments. Do you see what Paul calls them? You have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So the law, the Ten Commandments that God has given, is, is, is the embodiment of God's righteousness, of, of God's truth, of the knowledge of God. The law is perfect. The problem isn't the law. 
because it gives us a beautiful picture of God's holiness and God's perfection. It sets the standard required for those who want to follow God. See, the law is good and from God. So, so let's not bang the law, blame the law or shoot the law down. See, the problem is the human heart. The problem rests in the human heart. You notice, do you see that where Paul says, you brag, you are convinced, you are a guide to the blind, a light to the dark, an instructor. You can hear the arrogance of the nation, don't you? Uh, they've set themselves up as the light for the blind. They've set themselves up as the ones who have the truth, the only ones that have the truth. It's already there, the arrogance of the human heart is sinful pride, isn't it? And Paul says, you commit the same sins, you do the same things, you who have set yourselves up as teachers. God's name is blasphemed. And that's the story of the nation Israel, isn't it? See, every human heart is deeply affected by sin. And folk, you need to understand that this morning. Your human heart, your heart is deeply affected by sin. The law simply shows us how far you and I, how far the Jewish audience, the Gentiles who have been reading this, how far we fall short of the holiness of our God. And can I say to you this morning that all our outward displays of faith and religion and piety mean nothing if our hearts have not been dealt with and been changed. You can go up onto the mountain and pray for hours. You can fast for weeks. Uh, you can lead worship in your church. You can have the biggest Bible under your arm. You can preach the longest sermon. Uh, you can be the faith, most faithful servant in your church. You can have, even have the title pastor, apostle, prophet, whatever you want to call yourself. Uh, you, can, you can walk around and have people look at you and say, surely there goes a godly man because of your external displays of faith. And there are so many, aren't there? So many religious practices that we build on. Uh, I pray longer, I fast longer, I beat my body, I bring it into submission because I'm a religious man. But if your heart... If your heart has not been changed by God and by the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have not reached the place of realizing how broken and sinful and needy you are, then all those displays of, gray, of, of religion mean absolutely nothing. It is simply empty religion. And you see how, how, how Paul even goes a step further and he stresses the point. He even takes something else. He doesn't just use the law, but he, he turns them to something in the nation Israel that was, that was seen as your right of inheritance, your right of entrance into God's kingdom or in God's people was circumcision. Even something as important as circumcision. Well, Paul says to, to Israel, it's meaningless if there's not a heart change. I mean, that was a shocking message for any Jewish reader. You can understand why Paul was so hated by many. Verse 25 to 27, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. See what Paul is saying? He's saying if you want to be a law keeper, you have to keep every single uh, uh, full stop, every single emphasis of the law 100%. 
not even circumcision, an outward symbol of ethnicity and, and belonging to Israel uh, has meaning if you are breaking the law. And of course, we all know we cannot keep the law. And even those who are not part of the nation, Paul says, those who are not part of the nation but who are keeping the law, imagine that, well, they would be considered as circumcised. They would be considered as the people of God. So Paul says requirements into God's kingdom are not external. Being part of God's kingdom is no longer about an external sign. And so Christian, please, why are we running back to the nation Israel? Why are we looking to the nation Israel today as though they are still God's chosen people? As though they are still the ones that are, that are going to enter God's kingdom first and, and their national identity is, is, is that of God's people? No, the, the, the Israel... The nation Israel today, folk, are no longer God's chosen people. They never have been. And a little bit further on in Romans chapter 9, Paul is going to say, not all Israel were Israel. You see, belonging to God's people in the Old and the New Testament is about a heart that is directed to God, walking in obedience to His Word. And that's where we see at the end of the Old Testament, this faithful remnant emerging from the nation. And so the people of God, Old Testament, are those who are faithful to God's word, uh, faithful Israelites, loving God, loving his word, loving his law from the heart. Uh, and in the New Testament, the church, those who love God's word, walking in obedience to his word because their hearts have been changed. See, ethnicity, culture, symbols mean absolutely nothing if your sinful heart is not addressed. Nothing impresses God. No human activity will ever be pleasing to God if the heart is not submitted to his rule. And listen to the words of Hosea 6. Hosea the prophet speaking to the nation Israel, the, the chosen people of God. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? This is God speaking. Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. See, the, the, the love of the nation was just fleeting. He says, therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with my words of my mouth. My judgments flashed like lightning upon you. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. See what God is saying to the nation. Say, I don't want sacrifices. I don't want your burnt offerings. I want acknowledgement. I want mercy. I want to see an expression of faith that says your heart has changed. I want acknowledgement from you, my people. See, your sacrifice, folk, your dedication this morning is useless if it is built on your own ability. And if it is that self-seeking righteousness that Paul has spoken about early in chapter 2. So are you doing things, are you religious to make yourself feel better? Are you self-seeking in your religion? Are you seeking the glory, seeking to justify yourself, seeking to feel good about yourself? Or are you a person who acknowledges your sinfulness, acknowledges your brokenness, acknowledges that you are not good enough and has totally thrown yourself upon the grace and the mercy of God, realizing how dependent we are on Jesus this morning? See, don't let the pride and the arrogance in your religiosity don't let it cloud your vision and rob you of faith. You see, if your faith is self-seeking this morning, if your faith is built only on outward expressions of, 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 of faith, but your heart is still sinful, your heart is still angry at God, you are doing it because you feel you need to work harder, do more, then folk, you need to come under the, 
the gospel. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ to come and relieve that pressure on you. To allow you to rest in His grace and His mercy. And to fall on His forgiveness, not your own good works. And you notice in verse 28 and 29, Paul finishes this little section by saying, A man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. See, by the Holy Spirit, by the working of God's Spirit, the heart is circumcised. Then you're a Jew. If you've come under the conviction of God's Spirit and been brought to repentance and, and acknowledging Jesus Christ, well, then you are a true Jew. But if you are still living according to the law, under the law, by the law, by the written code, well, then you are just a Jew outwardly, he says to his audience. See, such a man's praise is not from men, but from God, he writes right at the end. The person whose heart has been changed, his praise is not from men, his praise is from God. See, inward circumcision of the heart done by the Spirit of God uh, um, brings a relationship with God. Religion and outward expressions bring praise from men, brings pride and glory, and we revel in people's godliness. So you have these so-called holy men, these so-called men of God that everybody praises and looks at, but inwardly and, and behind the scenes, they are committing incredible acts of sinfulness. One of the greatest examples is this prophet Bashiri who, who's been robbing people, stealing from people, and, and yet he's been glorified as a man of God and revered as a man of God because of his outward displays of, 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 of religiosity. But has his heart been changed? Because if his heart has been changed, he wouldn't have been getting up to the nonsense he has. See, salvation brings humility. Salvation brings repentance. And it brings praise from God. And can you think of moments in the New Testament when God praised any man? Because what does Paul say when he says, uh, mean when he says, such a praise is not from men but from God? Well, when do we hear every, any man praised by God? Well, literally the voice of God speaks twice in the New Testament. The voice of God speaks twice. The one is at Jesus' baptism where he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You hear the praise of God? Why? Because the heart of the Savior this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And again, at the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, in Matthew chapter 17, we hear those words once again reaffirmed. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now listen to these words. Listen to him. See, obedience. Obedience to the Savior. And that's when God praises the perfect Jew, the perfect man, the only one who's ever lived the perfect life, the one who has walked in obedience fully to the law. See, God is pleased with Jesus, the perfect obedient son of God, the only man to ever live a sinless life of perfection. And yet, what does he do? He gives his life as a ransom for many. 
God raises him from the dead that we would know that he has the Father's approval. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that God is pleased with his Son. He has the Father's approval. And when he says it is finished on the cross, the, the task, the mission of saving you and I was done complete. The price is paid in full and he has now been given a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is Lord because why Jesus has done the heart work and the spirit takes the gospel and it does the work on our hearts it convicts us he brings us to repentance he brings us to a place where we acknowledge that we need this perfect righteous son of God a righteousness Paul has already told us that is revealed from God see folk when we are in Christ when we are in Jesus his righteousness becomes our righteousness, a righteousness from God. It deals with your heart. It deals with my heart. It removes the judgment of the law upon us. It enables us to walk in obedience to the law. And when we fail, forgiveness is readily available. When we fail, we are no longer judged by the law because God's grace carries us God's grace brings the forgiveness that is demanded for our failure to keep the law. You see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, changes the heart. It circumcises the heart and God is pleased with you and I, not because of anything we do, but because of everything that was done for us. The great exchange has taken place. You see why Paul can call on the Jews and say, you are not going to be justified by the law because if you're a law keeper, you have to keep it 100% every moment of every day until you die. And that is impossible because of the human heart. You see, obedience to the law is a heart issue. Folk, we need a change of heart. We don't need religion. We don't need to do more, try more work harder no we need jesus who has done it all for us and when we believe in jesus the grace the mercy brings relief to the human heart it brings forgiveness for the guilt that we feel for our mistakes our brokenness it brings an imputed righteousness when god looks at me he no longer sees a lawbreaker a sinner he sees the righteousness of Christ in me. And notice Ephesians chapter 2 verse 30. I want to finish with this. Reminds us, you were included in Christ. So we're included into Jesus. We get his righteousness. We get, get his righteousness becomes ours when we hear the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. So we hear the gospel. Having believed, we believe it. Having believed, we are then marked with him, in him with a seal. We are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful picture that when we simply bow the knee, recognize our need for Jesus, recognize our conviction under the law, that we are guilty. And when we believe that and when we take hold of it, we are brought into the family of God, the people of God. We become part of His people. And we are marked with Him a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives in us. It's no longer on tablets of stone, but it's the Spirit in us, working in us, empowering us, enabling us, convicting us, encouraging us, drawing alongside us. And notice that this Holy Spirit 
is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So until the day God comes to fetch us, the Holy Spirit is there working guaranteeing we will inherit eternity. And you see what Paul calls those who are in Christ? God's possession to the praise of His glory. Folk, if you are in Christ this morning, you are forgiven. You are God's possession. You are the people of God. See, being part of God's people is no longer, Paul writes to the Roman church, it's not, no longer, longer dependent on your ethnicity. It's no longer dependent on the law, your heritage. Being a part of the nation Israel from an ethnically national identity is no longer what it means to be part of God's people. See, God does not show favoritism. All will be judged on their hearts. All will be judged on their response to Jesus Christ. And so if you this morning have not believed in Jesus, may I call on you to trust in Jesus and His righteousness. If you this morning are a religious person going through the motions, going to church, trying to do more, trying to, 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 to be the best Christian you can be so that you can get to eternity, May I ask you to go and confess that. Confess your pride, your arrogance, your trust in your own works. And turn to Jesus. Fall on His grace, on His righteousness. Because there is no one righteous, not even one. All have fallen short of God's glory. All of us need Jesus. The law convicts us. It points us to how desperately we need our Savior. And our hearts that need to be changed by the gospel. I trust that your heart will be changed by the beautiful message, the good news of Jesus Christ. I trust that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will stop relying on your own religious deeds and practices, but you will be doing them not because you have to. You will be doing them as a response to Jesus because of your love for Him and for what He has already done in you. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this liberating word that sets us free from the judgments of the law. Thank you that we are no longer dependent on our own goodness. We are no longer dependent on our own righteousness, our own acts and deeds. But Lord, we, we fall purely on the cross of Jesus Christ. We, we trust and rely on the blood that was shed for us. Thank you that we have forgiveness in Jesus. Thank you that we are made new in Jesus. Our hearts are changed. Surgery is done from the inside out. And may we do the things you call us to do. May we walk in obedience, not because we have to, not because we we think it's going to earn us salvation. May we walk in obedience as a response to what you have already done. May we become what you have already declared us to be. Righteous and holy and forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, folk, I trust that you will have a beautiful day further and that this message would really liberate you, set you free, and remind us it's all about the heart. God bless and have a great week ahead.